Hey, what is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk with myself, Jamie Dodd, and Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Yes. What's that? The announcement Canucks is out. Canucks Talk? The announcement is out. It is no longer Canucks Hour uh, because we do two hours every day now. We've been doing it. We've been calling it bonus expanded coverage. But officially from this point forward, it is no longer Canucks Hour with myself and Thomas Drance. It is Canucks Talk two hours every day here on the air on Sportsnet 650, and then, of course, also available in podcast form. And if you're already a subscriber, don't worry. You don't have to update your feed or anything like that. You will be automatically subscribed uh, to the new and improved Canucks Talk. I'm fired up, Dram. Like when that U2 album just yeah, automatically downloaded onto your gonna, iPhone. We're just going to put it on your phone. Yeah, there you go. Canucks Talk. <laughs> Tough luck. This is like when Patrick Waugh finally clarified for the English-speaking press that he wasn't Patrick Roy. You know, this is like... <laughs> this is like the third game of Elias Pettersson's career when uh, the media all sort of circled around him, kind of like looking at the the Bart in the classroom. You know that meme, right? Like yeah, everyone's yeah, just yeah. like watching, like Petey Pettersson or Peterson. Pettersson, I guess. Of course, it's Pettersson, but so it goes. Anyway, Canucks talk. Because you can, I guess, can you have too many Canucks hours in a day? I don't think you can on well, Vancouver Sports Talk Radio. Canucks hours? Doesn't really connect hour extended. I liked how we'd been solving it over the days. Although, did I, I noticed some of our social people were doing Canucks Hour squared? Are you going to point out that that's incorrect? Yeah, that, yes. that's Canucks we're, Hour. That would just be another singular Canucks Hour. We're the two big, biggest nerds in the world because I noticed that as well. It's like, I know actually one squared is still just one. <laughs> nice try. Anyway. Welcome to the show. Anyways, welcome to the show. New and Canucks improved. Talk. New and improved. Or, or apparently not. <laughs> uh, Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And look, just, you know, we won't spend too long on this. Obviously, it's uh, it's an exciting announcement. We're really stoked. It's going to be great. Two hours every day. It's going to be a lot more of what we do, what we were doing last year. Plus, as you've probably noticed... We got more room to, for interviews, talking to some interesting people, some of our favorite people in the market and elsewhere. You've heard Gemma Karsten Smith already uh, on the show a couple of times. We're gonna looking forward to chatting with her. Uh, Cam Sharon of The Athletic, former member of the Leafs front office, he's gonna join us today. Dmitry Filipovich, who also part of the new is also part of the new lineup uh, at Sportsnet 650, bringing the PDO cast here, which is really really exciting uh, for this station. Look for him to be involved and others. So. More of the same, plus we've got a little bit room to expand, talk to some people, you know, do some more features like we had with uh, Soroya Tinker and Akeem Aliyu on mm-hmm. Friday. And I think that's really exciting, right? Yeah. It's going to be a lot of what you already have uh, have gotten used to. And more. Plus some fun stuff on top <laughs> of that as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll be the place to come and rage uh, with really, really focused, right, detailed, realistic Canucks talk five days a week. And that's, and that's what we're going to do. Like, we will occasionally veer out and do things like we did with Soroya Tinker and Akeem Aliu, but hockey. It's going to be hockey always, yep. and almost always, like 95% of the time, it's going to be the Canucks. If we're talking about something around the league, like, for example, Mark Barzell signed uh-huh. a big new extension, that qualifies, A, as a local target, uh, local topic because of Barzell's, uh, Barzell, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, his status as a you know, uh, Burnaby Winter the, Club. The king of the Tri-Cities now. <laughs> yeah, glow up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but also, what impact does that have on Elias Pettersson, right? Like, that's going to be how we approach 
all of our topics. You know what you're getting with us. You're going to keep getting it. You're just going to get a little more of it. And we're really excited about it. Uh, Jay Fid texts in, Canucks talk is leaps and bounds better than that garbage U2 album. (laughs) 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 Thank you, Jay Fid. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, We are also Bring back where the streets have no name, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. So the Canucks did actually play a game uh, last night, Drancer. 7-2 turns into a laugher at the end. I would say they played 55 minutes of a game. Yeah, in Edmonton against the basically the full Oilers lineup with uh, you know a skeleton crew making the trip for the Canucks. Can I say something? Go for it. <laughs> if you have a friend... Don't, don't start asking for permission now. <laughs> if, yeah. if you <laughs> Fair enough. If you have a friend, like A-Dog, the producer of The Morning Show, yes. who's getting really hyped today on Christian Willannon, help that man. <laughs> help that man. Like, there is no world in which you should have a ton of preseason hype about Christian Willannon. But, oh, that said, he did play well. He is good depth for this team. Like, yeah. I like him as an injury call-up guy. But preseason Christian Willannon hype? Like, no. Please, no, do not. Do not go there. And if you have a friend who's who's gone there, seek help for that man. Doesn't it just speak to or like the desperation for positive news, though, right? To to pull the team and the fan base out of the kind of preseason nosedive that I don't even buy into, right? You yeah. know, we've had this conversation. I'm not like certainly, oh, they lost 7-2. Who cares? It was an AHL team against well, the Oilers. I, I agree with you, except I really do want to see the Canucks stop allowing opposing forwards to zoom in on their net at 100 miles per hour for these, you know, these aren't even just, like, good chances. They're like, oh, my goodness, that forward has five, six steps yeah. in on a, in alone on a goaltender. He just carved through three Canucks defenders, and we've seen that against Vancouver's NHL regulars. We saw that against Vancouver's not, clearly not, NHL so, regulars last night. I have, that's a fair I just con- want to see them look a little bit organized. But I think that's, if they had even looked more organized last night, I wouldn't have necessarily taken it as a positive because it's not the players who are going to be playing, right? And yeah, so, I agree with you. You know what I mean? So it, 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 it was one where they couldn't win. Yeah. But I still want to see something a little bit different. Like, I want to see this team not look like um, absolute chaos in their own end. Like, systematically disjointed was a word that came to me from, you know, an experienced NHL talent evaluator watching that game. They were like, they look systematically disjointed. And I, and that's not my view. That's an industry guy watching mm-hmm. the game, right? This is someone who's been around the game for an awful long time, knows not to take preseason seriously. And they're like, yeah, I see enough that I'm a little concerned now. So to unpack that phrase, systematically disjointed, is that is that kind of... I don't want to say mimicking, but kind of uh, connecting to some of what we've heard from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine, right? Of the need to play with more structure. Is that is that kind of the same critique that their systems play, their tactical alignment is is out of whack? Or is it just a case of that maybe they're trying to play the right system, but they're just not executing well? What did you understand from that comment? Because I think it's a really I, interesting way to put it. I think he just meant they were disorganized. Like, he, yeah. they just look disorganized. Like, teams should not be taking a can opener to you. I don't care. I don't care if it's Connor McDavid against an AHL team, like, it wasn't just McDavid doing the damage, right? Like, you'd turn on the TV and it's Dylan Holloway spinning off a defender and, you know, like, Oilers' depth guys were crushing and just generating an outrageous amount of chances. The publicly available expected goals models were expected goals for against, and it's like, no way. No way. The actual number has to be, like, six and a half. At least, you know, like, I'm watching that game. That game concludes. I'm like, Colin Delia played well, and he put up a seven spot. Yeah, 
and and that's just that I don't I really don't want to see more games like that from this team. Um, the preseason has looked like that in every game they've played. Uh, it hasn't mattered the, the quality of the opponent they're facing. It hasn't mattered the quality that they're icing. That's been a consistent through line. That concerns me. Like that's at this point, I'm legitimately like I don't care about the results. But I do want to see in the final two preseason tune-ups, this team show a, like a little bit of spine in terms of, uh, you know, preventing, again, not not just high quality, like five alarm quality chances against, right? Guy, guy absolutely bludgeoning Vancouver's defensive structure and skating in alone with multiple steps of pace on their goaltenders three, four times a period like that. That's tough. I don't care. I don't care whether you're beer league, whether you're playing in the American League, whether you're playing in the S. Like whatever level of hockey you're playing at, that's tough. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't really care that it happened last night. It, it, it's because it's a uh, part of a pattern. You know what I mean? That it, it stands out, and it's like, okay, they didn't they didn't arrest the pattern. They didn't break the pattern last night. I do understand that. I wouldn't but- have cared if it was McDavid, but McDavid was like the Oilers' best players were at at. 60, 75%, right? Like they were at that classic preseason sleepwalk pace, right? Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. weren't they weren't all in engaged. And you could tell watching Dreisaitl and McDavid, there were moments they felt like doing stuff, but really they were there for the power play warm, uh, like tune up, you know? It's not like McDavid at any point hit 80% of what his foot speed could be, right? There was no moment where he played that way or, or where he went into battles with the same level of, you know, panache and, and lethality that he will once the games count right so it's and and it wasn't that those guys doing the damage it was everybody else that's why it concerns me the only other thing that really bothers me and this is more i think this is more about me and just the fact i think i've mentioned this on on the show before but a real pet peeve of mine is hanging goalie out to dry in the final minutes oh. of the game that's been decided and again especially when this is this guy's last chance to make an impression for, he's fighting for a bet, the backup spot oh, and, right and probably not really yeah but, but still but you want him to like you should want him to leave a positive impression on management in the event that they need to call him up especially considering the way that Arthur Silovs has caught everybody's eye at training camp right like no i agree with you i thought that, that was that's bad. always frustrating for me and again it's if it was the NHL group doing that, I would be significantly more concerned and more upset about it. But I also know that that's like, for whatever reason, that's just, that presses my button. That really, really frustrates me. But it was, me. it was their NHL, most NHL ready line that had the really irresponsible turnover down 5-2 that made the game silly. You know, like, I don't know. I just, you can't play this way. I, like, I, I don't care that the games don't matter. You can't play this way at this level. You know, and, and, We've now seen them put in five games of work this way. So they've got a couple games to turn it around. They have to because if it looks like this in the regular season, it's going to be a problem. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's text in. Delia looked up a few times wondering, man, how much time is left? You guys are killing me here. And I just hate that. I always hate that yeah. for a goalie, especially one in the position that Delia is in uh, right now. Before we move on from, from Christian Willannon season, <laughs> it was a big Christian Willannon night on Twitter last night. I went to Hockey DB and it's like, you know, players trending and Christian Willannon is right at the top of the list because every Canucks fan is going over there. I'm like, man, who is this guy? You know, you talked about just wanting to see something different. And I think that dynamic explains a lot of why there was such a positive reaction to Christian Molanin because we don't see a lot of, you know, poise and composure and good decision-making on the puck from Canucks defenders all the time, right? We see it from Quinn Hughes. I think we see it in moments from Jack Rathbone. He has that dynamic upside. 
But what Christian Wolanin was doing was just getting the puck and making some really like smart, clever plays to buy buy some time for either himself or a teammate. It reminded me a little bit of actually of when Travis Dermott came over last season, right? And Travis Dermott's not a world beater. I like the player enough, but you know he's not a star level player or anything like that. But he was just capable of making a different style of play than almost anybody else on the blue line was at the time, right? And it was just so noticeable because it stands in contrast to what else is happening and what we've seen, you know, what we saw from Tucker Pullman and Danny DeKaiser in Seattle, uh, for example. And I think that that element of it is just the fact that, man, they're missing that poise and that composure and that ability to make a pass, make a clever play that leaves some pressure. They're really missing that on the blue line. That's why it stood out so much for Christian, Christian Willannon. And look, I think if you add it up, there's a chance that he could be like the eighth D-man to open the season, depending on Travis Dermott's health. Yeah, there's right? a chance. There, that, that, but that's... That's as far as we're going. You know That's what I the mean? Path. Like, he's not getting in over Jack Rathbone, right? Like, no, definitely not for me. Well, anyways, and I don't think he'll. I don't think he was at the level where he'll necessarily be a, a threat to be lost on waivers. But but wilder things have happened, considering how good he looked, right? And and let's unpack it just a little bit because while I don't think you should be hyped, you shouldn't be <laughs> indulging in preseason hype about Christian Willannon. He played really well. He's going to be a very serviceable option for this team when injuries hit, without question. And that's not a huge surprise, right? Like, there is a track record of solid two-way play, and you can see the two-way intelligence and the, in, like, passing intelligence um, in his game last night. I saw it, too, at training camp. I, you, you'll recall there were a few moments, like, rushes up the ice where he had no-look passes, little things like that that I was just like, oh, boy, like, that's a that's a really clever... NHL-level defender play. And Willannon, for me, is one of those low-end NHL players. We talk about this a lot. Like, you can get games from an AHL mm-hmm. guy or you have NHL depth, right? This is the difference between, like, a Kevin Connaughton and a Noah Juleson, right? Like, one guy is an NHL player who can give you games but probably isn't at the level of a regular, and that is still a cut above, like, an AHL guy who can come up and give you, like, an adrenaline boot burst of five good games before falling off, which is sort of the AHL player coming up to, to play a few. Um, I think Christian Milanen's in that NHL-level depth camp, and and what I liked about his game yesterday, you know, killed a ton, of, killed a ton played on, on the PK a lot, didn't give up a goal in those minutes, was the guy they used most, the primary matchup against McDavid and Dreisaitl's lines, uh, played about eight minutes against those two players in, in uh, combined. The Canucks were only outshot eight to five in those minutes and didn't surrender a goal. That's really good. That's, like, very good stuff. Now, McDavid and Dreisaitl were very much in preseason mode, so, you know, it's not like I, you'd want him to do that in the regular season or that you should read too much into those results, but that's good workmanlike results from Willannon and I think should add to your confidence. If you need him at any point this season for 12 to 15 minutes for uh, a 5 to 10 game stretch because of injury, you're going to be totally fine. He's not going to cost you games. I think he did enough that we can feel confident about that coming out of last night. Yeah, and I think it's important to say when you, you know, sitting here and saying, oh, don't get too hyped, it's not necessarily to downplay the performance because having what you have what you just outlined there in the organization, right? As a guy you can call up and rely on to play 15 minutes for you. That's really important, right? And we all know that's going to happen. We know that's going to happen. They're going to need whoever that person is on the depth chart at some point in the NHL season. And if it's someone you feel confident in, that's a big boost. That, that, that gives you uh, a lot more confidence. In My that. view is just save your hype for a Kuzmenko-like performance. Like, you know, if, if we were in Edmonton right now, we'd have Dylan Holloway hype. Right. And that would be justified in my view, right? I think the hype that we've had about... 
Kuzmenko's shot and playmaking ability on the power play. Like, to me, that's that's the sort of thing that can really make a difference from a team, right? What elevates a team from being 92 points to 102 points this upcoming season? What makes this season an awful lot more fun? If the Canucks have a 55-point second-line left-winger who shoots right-handed and can be a, a killer net front playmaker on the power play. Like, that's exciting to me. Um, the fact that this team has, you know, a fourth lefty who I think you can trust to play third pair minutes, that that's not something to get hyped about. That's, you know, the good solid work that teams have to do to win in this league. You know, that it's just a difference of calibration for me. It's nice. It's nice to have. It's good. It doesn't necessarily change what you are as a team. It obviously doesn't it's good. Change what it's you are unsexy. As a team. It's not worth getting like thrilled about. Uh, and if you are thrilled about it, you know, I think that's a, a bad sign. It set. I think that more, tends to be a bad sign. I more, think that's more than anything. Why I'm pushing back on it. More than anything, I think it says something about how fans have been desperately looking for something positive to hang on to in this uh, in this preseason. Which I sure. should point out, and I'm, I think partly partly is because we haven't seen Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, for a couple of games now, right? And he has been that bright spot. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll see him uh, in uh, in Abbotsford on Wednesday. Before we move on and start looking ahead to some of the other things to come here, um, you know, for the remainder of the preseason, two more games on the schedule. And I know lots of people are asking, okay, what to expect? Are we finally going to see these dress rehearsal lineups? Uh, how are we going to evaluate the team over the over these final two games? You know, I did want to just mention Vasily Pugh-Colson uh, and his performance last night because, again, as we look for things that might actually be real to translate from the preseason. And there's the defensive issues on the negative side. No, on the positive side, maybe you have under Kuzmenko. And I think I would put Vasily Podkolzin's form uh, in that positive column as well. Right. Because, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say that he was a standout at training camp in Whistler. Cause I didn't necessarily think he really popped, but since the actual preseason games have started and he's been going against other teams, it seems like every time I notice Vasily Podkolzin, on the ice, he's making a really smart play. He's winning a board battle. He's doing something positive with the puck. And I know you noted this on Twitter last night, Drancer, and it caught my eye as well. You know, he seems a lot more confident carrying the puck, right? Being a guy who's kind of the playmaker on a line or, or at least the, you know, one of the key players on a line. And I think last night, you know, that's kind of by default, by necessity, because of who else the Canucks are dressing. But it looks like, you know, he's not, I don't want to say going to continue just linearly, uh, the the improvement he showed last year, because as we all know, you know, development is isn't always linear, but it looks like that trajectory is still pointing upwards for Vasily Pugolzin, which I think should it could be a really big deal for the Canucks this year. Pod Colson skating looks considerably stronger this year, and without some of those guys like Hughes and Pedersen in the lineup, guys who carry the puck a ton for the for the team, uh, Miller as well. Uh, yeah. Pod Colson sort of had to do a little bit more of that heavy lifting through the neutral zone, and I thought he looked really good doing it. I thought his skating stride can be it, it can be difficult to see the improvement or the gains that he's made when he's away from the puck, in part because you're not focused on him. Um, I noticed it at camp, but I really noticed it last night. Like last night was where it sort of um, was more apparent to me that, you know, this kid must have spent a ton of time working on his core strength and, you know, really cutting up ice sheets, uh, working on this particular aspect of his game. It showed, it looked good on him. I don't know that he made, like, I don't think you're going to want him being the primary puck carrier on his line generally, just because, you know, I, I think about he had one really nice sort of swoop through the offensive end, but it results in, you know, a 90-foot shot. Yeah. You know, uh, he had a few of those where... I don't know that he's got the dynamic playmaking off the rush part of the game down yet. I think that'll probably come or at least improve for him. 
I still think, you know, his bread and butter is going to be on the wall below the hash marks at the net front, right? Like digging it out, grinding it out, uh, using his brain and size uh, to play that like heavy, impactful, eventually a heavy press game as opposed to being, you know, a a prime offensive driver for his own line. But the fact that he was able to do it and look like that in that game against that competition, I thought was a very good sign. And I think a sign too, for me anyway, if his skating's taken that big a step, um, that tells you how hard this guy's working. And that's always been why you like Vasily Podkolson, right? Everything behind the scenes that you hear about him is about how dialed in and focused he is. And I always like to believe in a guy with that type of work rate to, to be a guy who improves significantly. It doesn't always happen, though. Like, Adam Gaudet had that type of yeah. work rate, too. It, it hasn't quite happened for him, and it looks like he's falling quickly out of the lineup battle in Toronto. Uh, you know, Dennis Mulligan looks like he's for sure going to beat Goddard out, especially after last night's preseason game. So it's not foolproof, but I always like the bet on the on the guy with the high work rate. Well, silly Pod Colson, and I think it. with Pod Colson, we've seen the work rate, or we've heard about the work rate. We also saw the improvement happen in game last year, right? And we'll see if that continues this year. I will say, you know, the thing about yeah, you don't want him to be the guy you're relying to right now, carrying the puck up the ice, but. For especially for a team like the Canucks that sometimes struggles to transition the puck, you know, having another option, a secondary option on a line. Let's say he's playing with Bo Horvat, right? You expect Bo Horvat to do a lot of that, but it's not always going to work out that way. Sometimes no. you need another guy who there there who can also chip in and help with that. And you know, the more Vasily Protocols can do that, the more well well rounded he is. I think it bodes really well for his future and his fit with the Canucks. Although I don't know that Vancouver's transition issues are based on their sure. forward group, right? Sure. Uh, just to just to. Uh, put it plainly, right? I, I think their forwards transition through the neutral zone pretty well and, in fact, can cover up a lot of the deficiencies of the defense core, um, whether it's with punt and hunt or or with their effectiveness on the forecheck. But, you know, I, yeah, I agree with you. It, it helps add another facet to what the team can do. Um, I like Neil Zaman's game. I've always liked Neil Zaman's game every time we've seen him. I don't think, like, I thought Dickinson was pretty good. Uh with the puck, it's so awkward sometimes, and I don't think that line had, like, a lot of flow with mm-hmm. it, but just nothing happened when they were on the ice, and that's a good night for them considering a 7-2 scoreline and, and what they were being asked to do and how lopsided it was. You know, I, I also thought Dickinson and Lazar looked really good as a penalty-killing unit, and that, to me, sort of cements Dickinson as a guy we're going to see in the opening night lineup. Oman, however, because of his speed, because of the defensive responsibility... Um, you know, just feels like a really safe bet to give this team NHL games and probably pretty good NHL games as a bottom six guy. That's a that's a tremendous find for Patrick Alvin and company uh, this offseason, considering he was sort of an unsigned draft pick that they were able to bring over, bring into the system. And I, I would be absolutely 0% surprised if he gave them something like 25 to 50 games on an entry-level deal over the next two years. That's that's good work. I mean, at the margins, like Willannon, not something to get hyped about, yeah. but... That's good work. You need to have a lot of those types of singles if you're gonna if you're gonna score some runs in the NHL. Um, and then let's talk some bad. Okay, we'll talk some bad on the other side. We'll, we'll take a quick break here. We got to get to and get uh, into DeKaiser and, uh, and Hoaglander. Well, we also have to get after to Sharon. Uh, Cam Sharon here from the Athletic, uh, and also I know he's going to be doing some. Uh, some Canucks coverage day in, day out as well this year. So we'll talk to Cam about that, get some of his thoughts about what he's seen from the team in the preseason and NHL front offices in general with the former member of the Leafs front office, Cam Schron. It's Canucks talk. Yeah, it's new. It's not Canucks hour. It's Canucks talk now here on Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for The Athletic here with you. The new and improved Canucks Hour. Now Canucks Talk two hours every day right here on 650. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can keep getting your thoughts in about what happened last night in Edmonton, what you're looking for, what you're hoping to see in the Canucks' final two preseason games. We'll dive into more of that throughout the course of the show. But right now, we are very pleased to be joined on the line. He's uh, writing for The Athletic, also a former member of the Toronto Maple Leafs front office. He is uh, Cam Schron. Cam, thanks very much for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Jamie. It's uh, it's good to be on. Uh, how are you? I just wanted to say. Uh, I also wanted to say, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. You know what? I don't think I've ever had somebody say that to me in my radio career, Cam. So I'm uh, I'm really thrilled that we had you on today. That's fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Cam's an old Cam's an old sports talk radio head. Yes. Um, raised on Jim Rome, so he's going to need your listings. He's going to need your weight and height, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> no, no Maybe that was Dan Patrick. Oh, Jim sorry. Rome. My bad. Thanks, bud. Maybe over yeah. beers we can uh, we can do that sometime. Yeah. But not, uh, not on well, the air. We won't get into that. Uh, anyways. Well, no, just for the record, six foot 195. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, so, Cam, Drance and I have been kind of having this conversation and kicking it back and forth and talking to our listeners this week because yeah. there's so much anxiety about preseason results and preseason form right now for the Canucks. And, you know, we've been talking, does it matter? How much does it matter? What should you be looking for? You know, when you were in an NHL front office, and still now, obviously, now that you're back writing and covering the league, what's your approach to watching and trying to, to make sense of what we see in the preseason? Um, oh, man. Uh, the, the preseason is such a long grind. Uh, are the Canucks doing a six-game or an eight-game preseason, by the Seven, way? Seven, right, uh, right in the yeah. middle. Oh man, that's that's awful. The preseason is just too long. Uh, it 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 should be like it's a minimum of six games. That's as many games as you need. All you're really looking for is basically your top players to get a few reps in. Uh, I don't like using it as a player evaluation tool. I thought that you know when you have multiple years of data on players, that's uh, you know, not just data, but you've seen them for multiple years. You know what they can do already. Uh, you know as you get in the midseason and just kind of you know, putting together the final, final couple of roster spots based on preseason performance, which is only, well, like 25, 30 minutes worth of ice time. Uh, it's always seems strange to me, but it's just one of those things that we kind of have to do to, to justify the existence of the preseason. And the, I was never a big fan of doing that. And uh, I, I basically try to avoid as much preseason as possible. Now that I don't have to watch it. That's, uh, <laughs> one of the blessings of being outside. Uh, but <laughs> But, uh, you know, I will tune in. Like, I, I watched uh, I watched a little bit of last night's game, and uh, it, it just seemed like the Canucks were kind of out of their depth. And, you know, looking at the rosters, that was kind of clear they probably should have been. Uh, but whenever I looked at the screen, it seemed like there was another Oilers rush uh, going, uh, uh, going into the Canucks zone. Yeah. Well, and this has been the thing, Cam, throughout the preseason for Vancouver. It's just been the quality – and volume of chances surrendered. Um, when yeah. you were with the Leafs, if your team was getting absolutely bludgeoned, right? Just just 
giving up a ton of quality looks every single game, regardless of the quality of the opponent or regardless of the quality of the preseason roster, your team iced. Would you have been concerned about that at all? Or should Canucks fans be concerned at all about the level of organization we're seeing from them defensively uh, across the preseason? Uh, I don't, I don't know. To be honest, uh, we haven't, I don't think we really had those bad preseason games. Um, last year we played three against Ottawa, three against Montreal and either, and even a full strength, those aren't really good teams. So they were, in a, they were never, in a, they were never in a position to really kind of roll us over, uh, the way that a team like Edmonton or Calgary does when they, when they have their top guys playing, um, I, I would I might be a little concerned about like uh, about the level of of you know if 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 the coaches haven't been able to to get their systems to the minor league guys uh, that could be a bit of a concern but you know what can you really do against you know Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl right when they're like there's really was was McDavid even playing last night? I know Drysdale. McDavid was, was uh, but they were they okay. were like they were like very much in veteran sixty percent form, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and really, what can you do? Like you, you know, you're you're talking. I heard you guys talking about Christian Wallen, and like this is a guy who's been a who's been a minor leaguer, you know, kind of that quadruple A player mm. for for a lot of years. He's like decent minor league depth, but you know, what's he what's he going to do in that situation? He's going to be in a he's those those aren't the types of players that he's he normally plays against like right yeah i I don't know i i have i have a lot of trouble kind of bringing out anything from the preseason uh i think you know if but we were never in a situation like the canucks are in where what they're 0 and 5 and they haven't looked good at all uh you kind of you want to at least have one or two games where you look you know passable Right. And it doesn't sound like that's been happening. No, it hasn't. With with the Canucks overall, as you sort of look at them, uh, we had Dom LeCision on last week. His model projects them for 91.7 points. Vegas has the over-under set at 92.5. Uh, there's a few other models that perhaps overrate the certainty that they have in engaging goaltender talent that have the Canucks mm-hmm. faring much better in the Pacific that were published yesterday. Um, how do you rate this team going into the season and, and taking the 91.7 and the 92.5, um, you know, let's call it a 92 point average between those over, under, yeah. over, under even money. What's your bet? I lean towards the under, but I'm not very comfortable. I'm not really confident on that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's enough. I think the Canucks have enough that can break their way that they could be a 95, 96 point team. Uh, you're, you know, they kind of have those top end forwards. They have a really good defenseman in Quinn Hughes, uh, and a, and I think one, I think probably a top ten goaltender, all things considered. I think with the forward talent, it's there, uh, but I'm really concerned about the about the level of ceiling that the team has because they don't really have anything after Hughes to really get those forwards the puck. And that would be my concern. They've all like, that's one of the hardest things to do is to find that reliable puck moving right side defender. Uh, That was something we were looking for in Toronto for many, many years and eventually found TJ Brody who plays on the right side, but uh, he shoots left. And that's, it's such a, it's so hard to find those players. There's only, you know, 50 reliable defensemen in the NHL and, (laughs) you know, 128 spots or whatever for, uh, 
for for those players. It's I'd be yeah I I'd um, that's the thing. Like I I I think the team has a high floor, but I really I'm the the ceiling is quite low as well. Right. Um. So I'm so I'm not really sure, and I think that nine you know kind of that ninety one ninety two point range sounds right. I would the reason I I would lean lower is because I think that they'd be I think it's more likely that they're 10 points below that than they are 10 points over that mm. uh, just based on, you know, and, and they're kind of in the situation where they're, they're, they're so limited uh, in, in who they have that one or two injuries can really impact uh, how the team looks like we're, uh, you know, I'm already looking at, at some of the projected rosters without, uh, without Brock Besser to start the season or early McKayev and, uh, and it's, and it looks a lot thinner. Right. Let's say. Yeah. With, your article at The Athletic. So you debuted at The Athletic yesterday and wrote about what you'd learned uh, during your time in the front office. And it feels like, Cam, uh, having gone in with all these ideas about advanced stats orthodoxy, uh, you've you've emerged on the other side after eight years in hockey R&D as an eye test truther. Fair or not fair? <laughs> that is quite fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You watch, you know, watch the games, nerds. Uh, <laughs> I think that there's kind of, uh, I, I think that my, my, my biggest issue with, uh, with the way that the, the analytics community has kind of evolved over the last uh, 10 years even, and I, I'm probably going to say some things that get me in trouble at some point. This is my, Let's go. my heel turn. Yep. Um, I, I just don't know if, I don't know if, if, a, if, a, if, I'll see a take and I just wonder what are like, what are you basing that on? Are you really watching what's happening out there? Um, and I think we're going to see, uh, we're going to see a little bit of a fight today uh, about, uh, about Matt Barzell's contract, uh, mm. for instance, like I really like watching Matt Barzell as a player. And I think that it's very obvious that the Islanders have put very little around him for, for him to succeed as such. His, his point totals are pretty low uh, at five on five. The Islanders don't really generate a whole lot when he's on the ice. That's not really on him, though. And I think if you're, if you're watching the Islanders closely, you can kind of tell that, that, they just, that he's kind of always in this position where he has to be the one to carry the puck. There's really no one getting it to him or, or kind of being in that open position when he passes it off. It really, it really impacts... Uh, his ceiling and kind of to base your opinion on, on the overall results, which aren't great as opposed to what he actually is. I think, you know, really missing the for the forest for the trees. So, mm. you know, I, that's an extreme example. Uh, and to be honest, I don't really know too much about this Canucks team. So I can't really uh, go off much more than what I know based on the data. Uh, and I, you know, I hope to rectify that this year and uh, I'm going to be watching uh, all 82 games of the Canucks and I plan to at least uh, and, and be, you know, have, have smarter takes to say uh, <laughs> when we do this call next year. <laughs> but I want to talk about, uh, about your plan coverage in a little bit, Cam, but just building mm-hmm. on what you're talking yeah. there. And we're in conversation with Cam Sharon of the athletic uh, uh, former uh, NHL front office member with the Leafs as well here on Canucks talk. You know, as you're talking about Matt Barzell and maybe the the advanced, even the really advanced stats tell one story, but actually watching him and evaluating the player in context tells a different story. You know, that's something we've heard Jim Rutherford say here in Vancouver, right? We have to find players who maybe aren't succeeding where they are and bring them into a different context and and get more mm-hmm. performance out of them. 
is that skill, that ability, right, to look past the context what the player is in, or, or at least appreciate the context the player is in, and and recognize we can potentially get more out of him so, uh, by doing something different? Is that kind of a skill or ability that really separates the high-performing front offices uh, in the NHL and, and the hockey ops departments from the rest of the pack? Absolutely. And I think uh, I would go a step further. And it's not just uh, identifying which players can do it, but also having the patience to stick with a player that hasn't really shown too much over a two-week period. But you kind of... like. I my unified theory is basically that there's so few defensemen that can be reliable, but there's so many wingers uh, in particular and a lot of centers. Uh, you know, I, we saw a guy like Michael Bunting go from a middle six forward in the AHL. Two years later, he was riding shotgun with the league MVP in Austin Matthews. And that just kind of putting him in that, in that situation to succeed and being patient with it Start, like he wasn't penciled into that line of spot early on, but just that because he's the type of player that you could that was happy enough to be versatile, move up and down the lineup. And that's when you you know when you talk about you know kind of the off like off ice players and uh, or sort of off ice ability players are easy to manage. Uh, they're happy to play uh, on the third line and the fourth line if they have to. And those are the, those are players that do wind up getting chances uh, on the top line if. Uh, if things don't break right for, for the players originally uh, slotted in there. So just kind of having the patience to stick with those guys if they're not performing right off the bat and, and work with them, work with them in coaching, uh, work with their skating, work with their skill development. Uh, you just kind of have to identify the guys that not only can play up above, but really do want to. And I think that there's a, that's, that's one of the really hard things to, to do is, is, ident- is, ad- is identify which players kind of had that growth mindset, the ones that, mm. that know that they're better than what they have, but then also you need to stick with it and you need to be patient and you can't, you can't uh, send a guy down if he's gone without a goal for two weeks. Right. Now, one player on the Canucks that you're intimately familiar with would be Ilya Mikhaev, currently injured but played uh, for the Toronto mm. Maple Leafs over the last three seasons. Uh, what can Canucks fans expect from Mikhaev if he's given a, a top six role, which is what he's played at uh, when he's been in the lineup to this point through training camp in the preseason. Uh, I really like him. And I, I, we've had a, we've had a couple of, uh, of, of offline discussions uh, about him. Do you want me to, uh, to, to run Jamie through the, uh, through, the debate our argument about yeah. our little debate or is that uh... I'm always I'm always nervous when my off-air commentary <laughs> makes it on the air but go ahead go ahead okay uh but basically Tom's been saying that uh, that Canucks fans are going to sour on McKayev quickly uh and I don't necessarily think that's the case I don't think that McKayev will score 21 goals and in fact I made very specific reference to him in my athletic piece yesterday pointing out that Toronto is no longer a team that's in danger of signing uh a 21 goal guy coming off a 14% shooting percentage year when he was 7% career to date. Yeah. Uh, the offense probably won't be there. I don't want to, I don't want to talk in absolutes there. He has three moves uh, to get goals. One of them is an empty netter, just lay the puck down. He'll skate onto it and he'll score. One is uh, he'll skate fast across the crease and beat the goalie with a backhand. The old NHL and 97 goal. 
Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he scored five or six goals that were just kind of wrist shots thrown from the middle of the offensive zone yeah. uh, that, that found their way in the net. And I don't know if any of those ways are a very, except for the empty netters, are a very sustainable way of, of keeping pace offensively. I don't know if he has the offense to last in a top six. And his game is fairly one-dimensional. I, I like the dimension because he's probably the fastest player in the league. And you're going to see a bunch of times where he's in a, where he's in a one-on-one puck battle with Connor McDavid and beats him cleanly to the puck. Uh, and that's doing stuff like that means that he's not going to be soured on by the fan base. I think that the fan base is ultimately going to really like him because he'll do two or three things a game with his speed that make it very clear that he's tilting the ice. Now give the context though, that I, I sort of approach, (laughs) I approach the fan base will sour him on him through the lens of the old Mason Raymond, Yannick Hansen wars. Right? Like, that's my lens for super fast, super reliable middle six guy that gets criticized for the lack of offense. Like, my lens of that is Yannick Hansen and Mason Raymond, and I just see him as being sort of that type of contributor on a good team. And typically, historically, the, like, 35-point useful middle six winger has not been a favorite player type in this market. That's my context here Cam, that's my okay, friend. Okay, well, well, I, well, I have a, I have a, I have a very generous view of the fan base. And I think that we've gotten a lot smarter over the last ten years. Well, hopefully, uh, it's a lot, a lot more sophisticated because uh, people like you and Jamie have been able to educate. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, Jamie has anyway. Uh, I don't know about yeah. that. Uh, well, speaking of uh, of educating uh, all of us here at the Vancouver market and give us some perspective, Cam, I know you're going to be writing at The Athletic this year, but uh, mm-hmm. I understand you maybe have some other plans for Canucks coverage as well. So tell uh, tell everyone what they can expect from you uh, this season. Uh, if you like paywalls, that's great. Um, <laughs> I... I haven't uh, set it up yet, uh, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure what's going to look like. But basically, I want to, because uh, when I was with the Maple Leafs, I tracked a lot of games. Uh, a lot, I, tracked a lot, I, I tracked almost all of our games when we were playing them. And I'm, uh, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to track uh, the plan is uh, zone entry, zone exits, uh, shot assists and setup passes, uh, which players are creating turnovers. Um, basically a, a lot of things that I can track within, uh, within kind of three and a half hours, uh, you know, kind of reasonably. And I just want to post the data after every game, uh, the morning after, uh, so I don't, so that's the, that's the plan. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just setting up, uh, how I can do it all logistically, uh, how I'm going to work with it, like what, what exactly I'm going to be looking to track, but probably just a lot of similar stuff to what I was doing and kind of. Uh, write little post game reports based on okay. Well, here are the here are the major takeaways from uh, from from this game. Uh, what I saw it's probably going to be a little bit different than uh, than a, than an average uh, game recap um, uh, and very uh, kind of a, a little theoretical. And also, yep. uh, I'm going to learn a lot. I'm also going to learn a lot about what uh, what drives teams to victories because uh, ultimately, I spent so much time uh, doing day-to-day work and really lost sight of, uh, of, of learning about the game of, you know, learning about the game. And that's ultimately what I want to do is learn about how this all works. And, uh, 
and 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 figure out uh you know maybe it'll be tracking a bunch of things that that don't matter but hopefully i do so uh <laughs> things like things like uh creating turnovers is uh is something i've been thinking about uh for for a while uh and also uh with with uh with players contesting shots so uh right. i should have something on the athletic uh later this week on that uh if you uh, look forward. I'm wrapping up a pretty big project here. We'll look forward to that. We'll look forward to having yeah. you back on to discuss your plans for Canucks coverage once you're ready to launch that site cam. And we're yeah. uh, we're excited to track it with you uh, throughout the year. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Yeah, sorry for throwing under the bus there, Tom. No, no. I, <laughs> that, that's, that's what we're here that's for. That's going to earn you an invite back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, Cam. Appreciate it. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. Bye. Uh, that is uh, Cam Sharon. He writes for The Athletic. As you heard, he's got some plans in the work, not finalized right now, to do some independent coverage of the Canucks as well. And, of course, formerly a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs front office. Uh, very much enjoyed that conversation with Cam. I mean, when you, as, if you start a call with a uh, longtime listener, first-time caller, I'm, I'm in your camp right away. <laughs> right away. I am on board uh, with what's going down. And that was really good. And... Uh, I thought it was very interesting what uh, he had to say there about doing some tracking on players contesting shots and the effect of contesting shots. Are we going to learn who the NHL's Shane Battier is, getting that hand right in the face <laughs> of the shooter and bringing that shooting percentage down? I mean, it used to be Justin Williams, right? It was Justin really? Williams. Yeah, I think so. I always think of him as a... Obviously, he's a possession all-star. He was a possession all-star. Yeah. But I always think of it as from the offensive standpoint, right, of driving... Uh, with you know smart plays, but yeah. winning board battles. I didn't necessarily think of that. As it was a, it was two ways. Like, I remember I remember 2011, right before Justin Williams became Mister Game Seven. Right, if you looked at the large sample shot attempt differential data, right, number one was Justin Williams, and we used to talk about it. We used to be like, "Is that right? Is that output mm. right?" Because um, it was like number one, Justin Williams. Number two, Pavel Datsuk. Number three, number four. Henrik and Daniel Sedin, number five, Sidney Crosby, right? And it was like, okay, like, you know, the top five looks good, but Justin Williams. <laughs> and then quickly, Justin Williams sort of showed uh, thereafter why he was, uh, you know, he was a fancy stats all-star before he was Mr. Clutch. And that was sort of a, a light bulb moment in terms of, like, what matters most, right? It, what matters most, it matters that you increase your chances to get lucky, right? That you up your volume, so that, you know, when the game's on the line, you have control over the game and have the most opportunities to be the guy who comes up big. That was Justin Williams in a nutshell. Um, so that was like, a, that was a big moment for me anyway, in terms of figuring out what matters within the game. Now, what I thought mattered then has changed a lot. Uh, we're all doing our best to adapt. Cam Sharon will help us Cam, throughout I, the I, year. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting perspective, right? You get so bogged down in the day-to-day -day of running the team and helping run the team that you're totally. like, you, you, you don't have the, as much time to kind of think about the bigger picture ideas and the bigger questions. And yeah, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to get better at understanding uh, hockey. That was great. Really enjoyed that with Cam. We got some people texting in saying uh, how much they enjoyed it as well. So we will definitely get Cam back on the show, hopefully, uh, hopefully on a regular basis if we can swing that with him uh 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line keep your thoughts coming in more canucks talk on the way right here on sportsnet 650 welcome back to canucks talk here on sportsnet 650 second hour of the show canucks talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, Douglas Lake Equipment, 
Kentech.com. Coming to you live from the Kentech studio, Kentech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kentech.net. Now, uh, interesting text I want to read here in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. We had Cam Sharon on earlier, and uh, he, he spilled the beans on you, Drancer. He revealed you. Uh, in saying that you uh, you are of the opinion that maybe Canucks fans might sour on Ilya Mikheyev if the goal scoring rate is not what it was last year, which is a pretty safe bet based on percentages. But also based on based on history that there's a certain player type, which is the useful middle six winger that doesn't score a ton that Canucks fans have tended to give a rough ride to. Tanner Pearson. Now, different style of player, and you were talking a about very Mason Raymond and Yannick Hansen, but with speed and all that, which fits McKay. But, but, but a good example, except that Pearson actually gets power play points, right? So P- Pearson regularly hits 40-plus because he's a fixture on the net front. The the player type I'm talking about is a guy who also doesn't really play on the power play, so they end up at 35 points or whatever, and people are like, 17 goals is not good enough. And it's like, that's the, you know, if you look at, Five on five, he's top 120 in yeah. the league. That's, you know, he's good. Stop it. Uh, Dalvir texted in. Drancer absolutely nails the comparison of Mikheyev to Mason Raymond slash Yannick Hansen. Now, I think Yannick Hansen is the better comp. Well, except that I think people had more issues with Mason Raymond. I don't think so. Really? It, it, I, I remember people being like, oh, Mason Raymond, he fell down again. Well, and, oh. for, for sure. The thing with Mason Raymond is that he... Had really bad shooting luck during the 10-11 season after a career year. Mm-hmm. And then he broke his back and he was never the same. So he never got the chance to regress. You know, like he to never... Positively he was He back. was a different yeah. player after the back injury, right? Especially because of how reliant he was on speed to win battles and be an effective player. Yannick Hansen, though, kept getting these top six opportunities that drove fans batty. Absolutely batty. And I remember there being a lot, like, the thing, Mason Raymond probably dealt with more intense criticism, mm-hmm. but Yannick Hansen dealt with more years of, oh, this guy in the top six, like, play Cody Hodgson there, play. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always some, Cassian, why is Cassian not getting those chances with the Twins, right? There was always some younger, not as good player who fans wanted to see in that spot over Yannick Hansen. Um, so I think Yannick Hansen dealt with the, I think they're pretty comparable in terms of how they were received by the market until Hansen proved that he could be productive with the Twins. Yeah, and I mean, Yannick also had, you know, he'll always be a part of that fantastic third line, right, with with Malhotra and Torres in the in the 2011 season, which that's how a lot of Canucks fans are going to end up remembering. Now, well, to be fair, I, Mason I, Raymond was part of the second line that year. I also think Yannick Hansen is remembered f- now for being like this truth teller. Yes. Right? Yannick Hansen's post-career glow-up as the best hockey analyst in this market has also changed how he's remembered a little bit, I think. Now, the other interesting thing... Quite rightly, by the way. ...is I think the different dynamic with Mikheyev is those guys were drafted and developed by the Canucks, right? Mikheyev's a free agent signing, and there's always an inherent amount of pressure and expectation that comes with being that free agent signing. I mean, Yannick Hansen was drafted in the ninth round, right? And so even if there were those frustrations, it's also... He was found money. Wow, this guy worked his way up through the AHL, you know, from the bottom six, and now he's getting those opportunities. That dynamic doesn't exist with Mikheyev. I think the Mikheyev thing is fascinating because as much as, you know, his goal-scoring boost and kind of spike last year helped him get that contract he also does enough other things well specifically defensively and with penalty killing that 
he could be an effective player at that price, even if his goal scoring declines, but I'm not sure the conversation is going to match that. You know what I mean? For it sure. might be, oh man, he's only got 13 goals, but he's still a really useful player, right? Well, and I think that's what Cam's saying. His tools are loud enough that he thinks fans will uh, still be on board, but I, I just worry that if the scoring drops off, which I expect it to, um, then he's not going to be appreciated for just how much he can help a team win. And, and that's sort of where... I was coming from with my take, which Cam outed, and, and quite rightly, because it's an interesting <laughs> topic of discussion. It is. Uh, 650-650, continue to get your thoughts in. Uh, Rager says, I don't feel as bad for Raymond getting all that criticism as I used to. The man is almost 40 and looks like he's still 21. <laughs> <laughs> he has aged well. Which is absolutely correct. He has aged well. Shout out to Mason Raymond. Let's talk Barzell. Let's get into the Barzell contract. So uh, we mentioned it earlier. Uh, Cam brought it up a little bit when he was on with us as well. Coquitlam's own yeah. Matt Barzell. Local boy done, done Local well. Local boy done very, very well. Signs the big eight-year $9.15 million per year extension with the New York Islanders. Of course, he has one more year left on his bridge deal. This will go into effect next season. This is an interesting one, not just because the local connection. So how does this affect the how Canucks? How does this affect the Canucks? But significantly, the Barzell trajectory has always been a really interesting comp to the Elias Pettersson trajectory, yeah. right? Because they signed the three-year bridge deal and when, when uh, Elias Pettersson was in the midst of that negotiation, a lot of people were pointing at the Barzell deal. Very, very similar. And now a year out, which is... So Barzell's always a year accelerated from Pedersen, yep. right? So Pedersen will be in this position this time next year, eligible to sign an extension going into the final year of his deal. So obviously, and now that Matt Barzell does it... And the other thing they share is... Um, representation. Well, representation, but not in quite the same way, but very prolific rookie years. Not Both always, Calder winners. Not always the exact upward trajectory that everyone assumed after that. Sure. Right. So, the there's a lot going on here. Okay, the Barzil comp the, or the Barzell comp is useful for the Canucks where Pedersen is concerned because there's been so many forwards who are so clearly inferior to Pedersen that have signed like eight times eight over the course of the summer that you know his comp range was getting pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, in a world where Cairo and Rob Thomas and Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris, Josh Norris yeah. are eight times eight players and Pedersen's career scoring rates are, you know, 0.2 points per game higher than them, right? That becomes a really hard negotiation. Barzal, Barzal gives the, the Canucks like a peg for a guy on the same timeline as Pedersen that's somewhat lower than you know, maybe the club would have feared. So that there's some utility there from the Canucks perspective. That said, very straightforward to argue that Pedersen's going to deserve, regardless of what happens this upcoming season, more than more than Barzell does on this deal. Think think about it this way. Pedersen's last two seasons, right? We're gonna look back on those seasons as disappointments for him from a point production standpoint, right? Like I think those are the floor of what we're going to see from Pedersen over the course of, you know, his next five seasons until he's 27 or, or so, right? Consider that. Over the last two seasons, um, Matt Barzell's been at 0.81 points per game. Mm -hmm. Elias Pedersen's been at 0.83. So mm -hmm. even if you take just the least flattering sample of games that Pedersen has played and comp them with Barzell, uh, he still comes out ahead. So the Barzal deal is sort of the absolute minimum that you're looking at for Pedersen's next contract, the absolute minimum. And I think that gulf grows a little bit when you look at the full career trajectory, right? Like career points per game, Pedersen's at, you know, closer to 0.9. Uh, Barzal is at closer to 0.85. 
um, over the course of, you know, the last three seasons. If you take the three seasons, Pedersen, again, roughly 0.9. Barzell, you know, closer to 0.8. One. Here's where this gets interesting, right? The Barzell comp might be good news for the Canucks with Pedersen, but it also may complicate things with, with Horvat. Yeah. Because if Pedersen's 0.9, right? Barzell's closer to 0.8. This is the last three seasons, right? Bo Horvat, 0.74, which means that Barzell's production is closer on a per game basis over the last three years to Horvat's than it is to Pedersen's. So while you may want to look at this as a floor type deal for Pedersen, there's a real argument to be made that Pedersen's in an entirely different stratosphere, particularly if he looks as good this season as he has to this point in training camp and preseason and comes out and looks like he did the second half of last year or through the 2019-20 season, which I'd bet a lot on, right? Like I think Pedersen's going to have a really big year, which is one of the reasons I'm far more bullish on this Canucks team than Cam Chiron, right? Cam Chiron wants to fade the over on 92 points. I, I'm, I'm fading the under on 92 points for sure with this team. Big reason why is I think Pedersen's going to glow up. Now, Horvat-wise, this becomes pretty interesting because this is just another high comp. Now, I talked about this a little bit with Halford and Bruff this morning, right? 7.7 for Couturier. That comp caused some sticker shock in this market, but we've been talking about that as a, as a compelling comp for a while because of their exact mirror image points per game rate for their career. Um, you know, I talked about the Trocheck one being sort of the cautionary tale uh, for Horvat. Horvat's camp, maybe that helps the Canucks drive a compromise below seven. But realistically, centermen that score the way Horvat has, right? Especially the last three years where he's basically a third of a point per game. You know, they get paid. They get paid significantly. And in Barzal's case, over, seven, over nine million times eight. Um, I think there are reasons to believe that Barzal's scoring rates are depressed. Right. Yep. So, you know, I'd be far more comfortable betting Barzell, uh, you know, nine times eight than I would Horvat seven times eight, to be totally honest with you. But Horvat's career scoring numbers, his more recent scoring numbers and his consistent goal scoring totals are still going to push him high. And the Barzell comp in a lot of ways does help him, um, you know, by by cementing that the market for centermen still looks robust right? These players still have major value. And that's an important data point for Horvat's camp, I think, particularly given where Strom and Trocek came in this summer. Strom not being a really good comp for Horvat, but Trocek being a very good comp for Horvat. Uh, plus Nazem Kadri coming in at seven times seven. All of a sudden, the Barzell data point creates a sort of higher peg again. And so this is one of those where, in terms of its impact on the Canucks, it's a little bit mixed, right? It might help you a little bit with Pedersen, but probably not that much if Pedersen does what you need him to do this season anyway, right? Yeah. It also might hurt you just a little bit with Horvat because, again, last three last three seasons, right, Barzal's scoring is more comparable to Horvat's. It's closer to Horvat's on a point-per-game basis than it is to Pedersen's, and that includes two seasons that we'd look at as being floor years for Pedersen's production. It's... Um does that all make sense? My so well, there's a lot to unpack here. Obviously, we'll get into it. My read initially is in the moment right now. This is a comp that has relevance for Elias Pettersson. Pettersson has a chance, a very good chance, to make it not as much of a comp, right? Because if Elias Pettersson was eligible for an extension right now, it'd be okay. Well, that's interesting. That's a framework. Maybe we're getting closer to a deal here. But he still has a whole other year to make it. Yeah, actually, I'm in a different category than Matt Barzell, right? He yeah. has the ability to do that and. 
you have to hope, if you're a Canucks fan and you're rooting for their success, you got to hope that he does that because that's going to be a big part of them exceeding expectations this year. So right now, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting marker, but it has a chance to not be nearly as relevant depending on what Elias Pettersson does in this upcoming season. The Bo Horvat one... And he's going to lay waste. He's going to shred things. That's That would be my bet. I'm, I'm very confident about this. I think Pettersson's... I think Pedersen's about to shred the league. That's just my view. I might be wrong, but I legitimately think he's about to shred uh, opposing defenses and penalty kills. Yeah, it, it certainly wouldn't shock me, no. in, in, even in the least, right? If we're talking about, you know, a 90-point season from Elias Pedersen, where he also was really good two-way. Wouldn't surprise me in the least with the kind of talent he he has. The, the Bo Horvat one is fascinating because you ran through a bunch of the recent comps for centers that we've seen. And what strikes me is all of the ones where the salary is maybe a little higher than you expected and maybe they're good for Bo Horvat are players locking up or teams locking up relatively young in-house players to long-term extensions, right? And even Barzell, he's a little bit older than those other guys. But he's still only 25. Only, only one RFA season there, though, right? Yes, only one RFA which is, season. Which is what's relevant here. Yep. Uh, Horvat's already sold a UFA season. He sold a UFA season on his last contract. Like, this is a UFA yep. season. So, you know, he's two years advanced in terms of his cycle, but he's the exact same age as Tomash Hurdle. And the, yes, that's a, and that, that's an interesting one. Whereas the ones you were listing there in Trocek, Kadri, and Strom that are maybe more favorable for the Canucks, less favorable the, yeah. for Horvat are all UFA deals, totally. right? And I, even just moving beyond how does that apply to the Bo Horvat and Canucks situations, I think that's just kind of a fascinating glimpse into where spending is going in the NHL right, right now, right? And I don't know if, if you're any pending UFA, I don't know if you look at that and start to get, maybe it's not the, the beacon of, oh man, I just got to get to UFA as soon as I can, right? Right. It's a new concept that we need to familiarize ourselves with because it, it may be a transient, right? But right now, there's something called the reality of unrestricted free agency, right? We can talk comps all we like, but Bo Horvat's value ultimately is going to be determined by the Wild West that is yep. the open market. And the Wild West that is the open market during the flat cap era can look an awful lot different, right, than it than it typically has with, you know, the July 1st silly season and some of those valuations we've seen year over year where, you know, it's not a matter of if you're going to pay on July 1st, it's by how much, right? We've seen that logic kind of flip over the last three years to the point where teams are, you know, selling some of the deals they signed in on October 13th, 2020 at a premium price, like Tyler Toffoli, right. For the mm -hmm. first in part, because the contract was so team friendly uh, in that economic climate. Now, the reality of unrestricted free agency matters here because as much as we want to discuss comps, it matters more for restricted free agents, right? Where because of arbitration rights, because of how that market works, comps will determine market value. With UFAs, like once you get to the open market, truly it's what will the market bear? What mm -hmm. is a team that you're willing to sign with, willing to pay you to sign with them, right? Very simple. And that ultimately may be what determines Horvat's next deal, right? Like that in the event that the Canucks can't get a deal done with him prior to the trade deadline, whether they move him or not, if he goes to unrestricted free agency, that's what's going to determine his, his you know, it's no one's going to look at the Couturier comp, right? I mean, that's an argument that you make in extension talks, it's not what determines what you get paid in unrestricted free agency. And we've seen that market hollow out a bit with the Trocheck deal in New York being something of a cautionary tale, although one suspects that there's a little bit more to that story, right? Because the Rangers were in the 
conference semifinal because there's familiarity between Trocek and Gerard Gallant, right? Because he probably wanted to play in a big market like New York. I mean, there's an awful lot that probably stacked up uh, for the Rangers in that era. And of course, every time a free agent signs anywhere for a big money deal, right? They left money on the table. Like that's, that's like, that's like he was higher on our draft list, right? It's like (laughs) you, you can count on, he left money on the table being part of the story of any big contract signs. So Will the reality of unrestricted free agency or fear of it cause the Canucks to get a more team-friendly settlement with Horvat? Because in some ways, I feel like Matt Barzell, you know, this is a big contract. He's cashed in and good for him. This is generational wealth for the Barzell family. But, you know, he's one year away from, res- from um, restricted free agency with a high qualifying offer, which he could have accepted walk to unrestricted free agency in a world where the cap goes up significantly. What type of home run could he have been two years away from? He decided not to test what the reality of unrestricted free agency looks like. Could that cause the Horvat camp to give the Canucks something closer to a, a hometown discount in the weeks ahead? I mean, we'll see. It doesn't sound like Pat Morris's style, but, <laughs> but you know, that's one factor in Vancouver's favor, I suppose, as you go through exactly what this looks like in the in the weeks and months to come. It's a really fascinating situation. And as I said, the fact it's not just and you know, we have people texting it, oh well, he's overpaid, so you can't use it as a comp. Well, that's not really how it works, right? Teams can't just say, no, that guy's overpaid, so we're not going to consider it. You can try, you can make that argument. Uh, but the agent is going to say, well, no, they were actually completely comparable at this point, right? So every contract does matter in some way when you're having these negotiations uh we do we'll get into that a little bit more because it is fascinating but we do have some breaking canucks news right now they have reduced their preseason roster by 13 players so now that goes brings it all the way down to 29 big round of cuts here no surprise going in the final two preseason games of the year so i'll run through so okay these players have been placed on waivers designated for assignment to the abbotsford canucks it is John Stevens, organizational center, Noah Juleson, Brady Keeper, Guillaume Brisebois on the blue line. Colin Delia has been placed on waivers uh, to, to go to the Abbotsford Canucks as well. So that looks like Spencer Martin winning the backup job. Um, Tristan Nielsen will be joining uh, the Abbotsford Canucks. He was technically in camp on a PTO. He's going to Abbotsford to play for them because he's still on an AHL deal. This is the big one, the really interesting one. Danny DeKaiser has been released from his professional tryout contract. Uh, and then the following players have been assigned to the Abbotsford Canucks. Archer Shilovs, Arshdeep Baines, Wyatt Kalanuk, Danila Klimovich, Will Lockwood, and Michael DiPietro. So the highlights there for me, as I said, Colin Delia going on waivers to go down to the AHL. And Danny DeKaiser, veteran NHL defenseman, no longer in Canucks training camp with a PTO, which is not a surprising outcome for me, Drancer, based on what we've seen from Danny DeKaiser. You, based- you knew last night when, yeah. when Willannon... Well, Willannon stepped up who, and played that way, role. by the way, not among the cuts. That's the... To me, To me, it's more about looking at who's still around here, right? So, like, for example, to me, one of the headline items of this is Tristan Nielsen stuck around longer than anybody else um, among that class of American League sort of double-A players that the Canucks have... I'll be curious to see if there's uh, an ELC signing in in the days ahead. But this was the big round of cuts that we were talking about late last week, right? This was the one we expected. And, you know, it is pretty deep, and yet it leaves them with 29 uh, players still on the roster, um, one of whom, you know, is Christian Willannon. So Willannon has hung around. His performance last night and his usage last night demonstrate that 
you know, he's moved ahead of Danny DeKaiser in the club's mind. And in fact, Danny DeKaiser's um, PTO with the Canucks ends without him getting a contract. Neil Zaman, still, still hanging here. around. Linus Carlson. Linus Carlson, still hanging around. Phil DiGiuseppe. Yeah. Phil DiGiuseppe, although he didn't play last night. We don't really know why yet. Uh, so some intrigue there. But yes, Phil DiGiuseppe is still hanging around. So a few, I mean, where are we at now, right? Like we're at nine defensemen or are we at 10 defensemen? I think it would be nine. With uh, Dermot. With Dermot, yes. So, so effectively one more cut to come on, on the defense core, presumably a race between two guys that played pretty well together yesterday in, in Kyle Burroughs and, and, and Christian Wyden. Although maybe Tucker Pullman. Is Tucker Pullman's job really secure? given what we've seen from him in the preseason, like at this point, would you rather have Kyle Burrows or Tucker Pullman playing minutes? I would, I would say Kyle Burrows. I've liked what I've seen from you Kyle think? Burrows. Like, I, I think so too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that could be an interesting wrinkle there. And then in terms of forwards, a lot will hinge on Besser and Mikhaev's timeline, right? Particularly because if Besser goes on IR, right? If you create the roster spot by putting Besser on IR, he misses four games. If you put him on LTI, which... Certainly, if he's skating already and, and handling a puck, feels like there's no way that's going to happen. Right. Um, I would say getting on the ice a week after your surgery indicates you're a, a, maybe a bit ahead of schedule even. Um, I'm, I hesitate to say stuff like that with injuries for all the reasons that I often talk about hockey uncertainty uh, regarding injuries. But, you know, certainly trending to be ahead of You're not going to put him on LTI. So do you have to keep him on the roster? In which case he's going to take up a spot, right. which sort of reduces your need, whether or not he's able to play on opening night or not. Um, you know, it feels like, feels like to me the fourth line set. Feels like to me Dickinson, Lazar, Dickinson, Lazar Joshua, Joshua, you know, based on the way that Dickinson and Lazar killed penalties, the fact that the club used them together in that spot, that feels like something we're going to see. The fact that Dakota Joshua has stepped up and, and you oh, know, Joshua's left no doubt. Start. Yeah. No doubt. And so, you know, it becomes sort of a, Hoaglander, Oman, Carlson, DiGiuseppe race for one, maybe two, depending on the injury situation spots, that that sort of feels like the lingering uncertainty that we're looking at in terms of the final battle for spots here. Uh, so there it is. Those are your Canucks roster moves as of today. It is a day off for the team, so no surprise uh, that they they made this round of cuts. I know a lot of people were wondering. I mean, we even heard it from JT Miller yesterday. Wow, we have a lot of guys here still. They were still up over 40 players at camp as of yesterday. Now they're all the way down to 29, releasing uh, or, or cutting 13 players today. Lots of questions coming in about the players on waivers. What's next for the team? They have two preseason games uh, remaining this week. So we'll talk no more about the roster moves and what to expect uh, over the next few days. It is Canucks talk here, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who of course also covers the team at The Athletic. The new Canucks Talk, newly named, newly christened, no longer bonus two hours of Canucks Hour. It's now just Canucks Talk for two hours every day. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And of course, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Uh, we went to, uh, we went uh, 
through the Canucks roster announcements. They have trimmed their roster down, reduced their preseason roster by 13 players. 650-650 in the the text message inbox. We're getting uh, some questions, some thoughts on those moves, on what comes next. This is an interesting one. The the player on waivers that people are asking about, this one comes from JFID. Is Colin Delia going to get claimed now that he's on waivers? Of course, experienced AHL guy who's played NHL games in the past, you know, gives up the seven spot last night, but not really his fault at all. And I don't know. I mean, the goalie market is such a, it's so, it's always so contingent on the exact right now circumstances of different teams, right? It's not so much about the league wide evaluation of Colin Delia. It's just, is there a spot at the table? So, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine as well, whether well, he'll get claimed at this point. Well, I'd like to think my guess is a little better, but <laughs> um, I mean, look at look at Mark um, Magnus Helberg. Oh man, what a great name! Pretty good. Straight Bond villain stuff from Magnus Helberg. My goodness, like honestly, if you if there was a movie villain named Magnus Helberg, you'd be like two on the nose, <laughs> not believable. Over the top, yeah. little over the top. Anyway, beautiful name, honestly. If you look at the case of Magnus Helberg, who was claimed by the Ottawa Senators, he's claimed by the Senators, and the next day they reveal that Cam Talbot has sustained an injury, thus explaining why they put in a claim. There's no way to know that when you put yeah. Colin Delia on waivers, but you know, we've seen two, we've seen three waiver claims since the waiver period started 12 days out from the season. Uh, two of them were for goalies, right? So uh, we saw Johansson claimed by the Arizona Coyotes, and now and now we've seen um, you know Helberg claimed by the Ottawa Senators, and also Spectre. And so we'll see exactly where Delia goes. Delia ultimately, I think, will clear, but you just if anyone gets claimed, it's going to be a goalie. Like that's how this works. Goalies in particular are in demand at this time of year. You know, we we saw in past years. Remember the Maple Leafs had both Pickard. And um, McElhenney mm-hmm. both claimed off of waivers right. from them, right? Like, this happens. Teams lose goaltenders um, in abundance at this time of year. Uh, Eric Comrie used to get claimed off waivers like five times in a row before finding his way back to Winnipeg every single season. I'm not kidding. It happened like happened to him six times, I think, during the 2021 season. It was wild. Spent like half the year in quarantine. So, yeah. I mean, Delia is an above-average waiver loss risk because of his positioning. But if he's lost, the Canucks, A, have DiPietro and Silov still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not exactly hooped. But B, can also just can claim another somebody guy. else. The problem with that is you have to keep the guy on the NHL roster. The Canucks clearly don't have any intention of doing that. Uh, they'll hope that Delia clears, and then that other teams continue to lose goaltenders, creating a market for Mike DiPietro uh, so that they can resolve that situation before the season. That's obviously the ideal outcome from Vancouver's perspective. Uh, more questions coming in. So this one, not about a player who was put on waivers today, but a waiver-related question. Uh, Jeff from Mission says, it's probably a stupid question, but can the Canucks waive Tucker Pullman? And another one unsigned says, would Pullman get plucked off of waivers if the Canucks put him on? So they can waive him. I would be shocked if he was claimed based on his health situation and the remaining years of his contract. It's the kind of move that it wouldn't shock me to see it as part of the the cap machinations where you're trying to get to a very specific number as close to the cap as possible to open the season and maybe sending Pullman down allows you to do that. But I would expect it to be, I, I wouldn't expect it to be, we're putting you there because we want you to play in the AHL. It would be, we're waiving you because we don't think you're going to get claimed. 
we're doing it for the cap space, and then we're going to bring you right back up, right? And even if he's not dressing, he's going to be one of the eight guys who's on the team. Yeah, I mean, so, yes, Tucker Pullman could get waived so long as he's healthy, um, which he is to, to this point, as far as we know. Um, in the event that he's waived and starts the season below the line or even goes below the line for the purposes of making a paper transaction, that would save the Canucks only $1.125 million in cap space. Um, with three years remaining on his deal at $2.5 million, Pullman is... He's not getting claimed. Uh, you know, a, a one in a thousand to get claimed. Like, you know, there's always a chance, and I like to try and propose it as a percentage whenever I can. So one in a thousand, I would say, like 0.1% chance of getting claimed, considering how reluctant teams are to add salary and how few teams could even do it, right? I mean, there's only like eight teams that could even do it at this point. So, you know, very, very remote that he'd get claimed. And, you know, I wonder if the Canucks may end up doing that. Like, why would you risk losing guys like Joshua and Burroughs, the guys who I've been sort of focused on as the most likely options going into uh, training camp? Now, now, that said, I've been focused on them with the assumption that Jason Dickinson gets waived because, likewise, I think there's very little chance of him getting claimed anyway. But, I mean, you could use Dickinson and Pullman's contracts to help you protect other guys, right? You don't worry about losing Burroughs and Joshua on waivers for nothing because you know that no one's going to claim these higher salary guys. I mean, you might as well avail yourself of that advantage if you're going to be bogged down uh, by those contracts. So, uh, plus, in the event that they do get claimed, that's a huge win, right? That's that's a tremendous victory for the Canucks. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wonder if it trends that way. We'll see exactly how they handle it. Lots of options available to the Canucks, but, you know, that, that Frank Saravalli-Furland report mm -hmm. looms large for me because... It tells you that the Canucks are looking at their mounting injury situation, right? If the information is correct and it, and it matches some of what I've been hearing, I don't think what, – what I would say is I'd be surprised if it was a new thing so much as an ongoing effort that the club never ceased. Um, but if they're looking at their mounting injury situation, right, and they're looking at Kuzmenko, who can double his cap hit with bonuses, which is an overage that rolls over to next year, and they're thinking, oh, boy, it would be – you know, we'd be willing to pay now to get out of LTI. Um, you know, you could, I think that tells you a lot about what the, how muddy the situation is for the Canucks going into this yeah. final week. And we really are now in the final week before the opening day roster deadline, which is Tuesday of next week. On the, uh, the Cerevelli report, which for people who haven't heard, it was that the Canucks are very, very actively trying to trade Michael Furland's deal, which is, uh, as we understand, not insured for the 3.5 million. So you can put it in LTIR. But you're paying that money, right? That is money leaving the owner's pocket, which obviously makes it much more complicated than your typical, oh, hey, here's LTIR money for a contender type well, of deal. You're always paying a bit. You always pay sure. a premium on an insured deal, but usually it's like, you know, a million dollars or, or hundred, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, the Furland deal being uninsured means that, yeah, 2.8, something like that, 2.75 million. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the fact is, is that like... What I was talking about with, you know, there's only eight teams that could even do it, right? You can't trade Furlan to a team at the cap and have them benefit from acquiring that deal. That's not quite how LTI works. Like, you need to find a team that can fit that mm -hmm. number under the upper limit and then put it on LTI if they're going to benefit from it. The number of teams that meet that description is smaller than eight. We're talking four or five, maybe. Might be two. Might be one. There might only be one team that has both the cap space, the cap situation, 
and the administrative know-how uh, to do this right. And um, the will, the will to do it. And the right? will the to will do it. For the, the owner to pay for it. Well, because you need to also be a big market team yeah. willing to take like a $2.8 million. And if you're taking a $2.8 million loss, what type of asset do you need to gain? Like, what are you buying? You're, you know, the way to look at this transaction from a rival team's perspective is what are you buying in order to do this, right? You have to buy something. You have to get something. I mean, forget a sweetener. Like, <laughs> we're talking about something more significant than that. We're talking, this isn't a sweet and low <laughs> you know, no. ad. This isn't ste- stevia is not getting it done. You need something more than that. You need, you know, a, a full bonbon to uh, to do this deal if you're a rival club. And I don't even know. I like off the top of my head, a prospective match doesn't even occur. Like I can't even think of the team position to do it. It's that complicated. So I would handicap that as a very very remote possibility. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it just seems like it would have happened, right? If there was a team that was looking yeah. at it saying, oh boy, let's do it. And you, you never know what you see specific some deals circumstances like would come up, but I don't know. You see some deals like this, right? The Ben Bishop deal got traded, right? You see some deals like this. They're May deals. They're like during the playoffs, quiet day, team announces that they've made a paper deal with some team and it's, you know, for a conditional sixth or a conditional seventh when those deals are insured. Um, at this stage, like I can't remember the last time we saw a deal like this happen this late uh, or this close to the season, right? Like Tyler Johnson for Brent Seabrook's contract happens in August. Most of these deals happen in May or June. This is, you know, it, I just, it's really hard to imagine that the Canucks could get this done at the wire. Uh, this text comes in from Chris from Nanaimo. So we were talking about with the roster cuts, where the kind of roster battles stand and the lineup battles stand right now. Settled in net, uh, it certainly seems like, with Thatcher Demko and Spencer Martin, as we expected there. As you mentioned, Christian Wolanin still around, so uh, battling maybe with Kyle Burrows for that eighth spot. Uh, or Tucker Pullman. And Tucker Pullman, and we'll see what happens when Travis Dermott gets healthy as well. And then the final kind of battle for, as you said, depending on Besser's, Besser and McKayev's injuries, one or two forward spots. It's Niels Hoaglander, uh, Niels Amon, Carlson, and maybe Phil DiGiuseppe in there as well. Chris from Nanaimo Texan, do you think it's actually Hoaglander's spot, but they kept these guys around to keep them hungry uh, and remind them there are other guys coming? And I, I read your piece at The Athletic, uh, Drance are talking about, you know, just the, 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 not necessarily his performance, but Hoaglander's usage last night in Edmonton, potentially being a harbinger of where he stands, uh, in Bruce Boudreaux's eyes right now. And I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. Not that you laid, didn't lay out a persuasive case for it, but it's just really hard for me to see it as a plausible battle between Carlson and Hoaglander. Right. Yeah. You know, just to pull a name, but, now, but think about it, think about it like this, like think about it as you have, um, we all we all manage a fantasy roster, I'm sure, right? We yes, all we all yes. are fantasy managers in some kind of league, you know. You know how you have like like a, a guy like Michael Pittman, mm-hmm. who's like not had a great season to this point, and he he really hasn't been reliable. Versus a guy like Curtis Samuel, who's been great. You know, on the day of, on Sunday morning, when you wake up, just scratch Pittman for Samuel, even though Samuel's dramatically outperformed him this season. Like you can't do it. Yeah. You know, you just can't bring yourself. To do it. There's a guy you trust more than the other guy. And it might not even be, it might not be quantifiable. It might not even be rational. It's just how you view the two players based on a variety of priors, right? Sometimes coaches have a guy who, for whatever reason, they just don't tap their number very often. And to me, that's what happened with Hoaglander last night. Like, I can't explain it any other way. Tuesday, a week ago today, 
we arrived at Canucks practice, or I was broadcasting from Canucks practice, and Mikhaev was not on the ice. And Brock Besser, we now knew, was going to miss three to four weeks. And the Canucks take the ice, and Hoaglander's on a line with Kuzmenko and Pedersen. And the whole organization, everyone in the organization, singing from the same hymn book, Hoaglander was one of our best skaters mm-hmm. at camp, right? The Canucks roll out their power play formations. Hoaglander is on PP2, right? This is his time. This is his opportunity. And since then, the Canucks have played three preseason games. Hoaglander's appeared in two of them. He's played with Joshua and Dickinson in one, and Oman and I can't even remember the name of their third line mate last night. It was uh, someone who was cut today. Yes. Was it Tristan Nielsen? Maybe. Yeah. I think it was Tristan Nielsen. Okay. Yeah. Tristan Nielsen. Meanwhile, Linus Carlson has gotten the looks with JT Miller and with Elias Pettersson in, in his two games, right? Then they send Hoaglander to play with this really weak Canucks roster, right? I mean, a, a smattering of fourth-line caliber players and AHL players plus Connor Garland and Vasily Podkolzin, right? That's sort of it. Um, but Sheldon Drys didn't get cut today either. Did he? No, I think you're so right. So Sheldon Drys is the other interesting guy mm-hmm. hanging around. And he played pretty well last night, by the way. Sorry, that's neither here nor there. A random dig- digression, as I recalled, the Canucks lineup yesterday. For all of that, Hoaglander played more minutes than only Arshdeep Baines, John Stevens, Tristan Nielsen, and um, Danila Klimovich. That's it. Like, he was eighth among that Canucks lineup in ice time. Eighth. Like, I know he scored a power play goal. I don't think he had, like, the best game, but he wasn't poor. But he just didn't get on the ice. Like, he just, his number just wasn't called. And at some point, you know, you have to look for signal, you know, where where it finds you. Like, I don't get to interpret the data differently than the fact pattern that emerges. Like, the fact pattern that's emerged is that while Niels Hoaglander was a standout at training camp and seemed, like, primed to get a big top nine opportunity, his usage over the past week has been consistent with a player that still has a lot of trust to earn with the coach. And I just can't stop seeing that. Like, that's what I see every time I look at how the Canucks are making decisions around Hoaglander. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be pointing in the wrong direction. I think he's played great. Everyone knows I think he's one of the, this team's seven or eight best forwards. I'd say seven. Top seven forwards. Like, I'm that high on the guy. But for whatever reason, his usage doesn't seem to match, you know, my evaluation of him. And you have to ask the question, you know, why is that? Like, why is that? It, it just feels like he's got some work to do yet with Boudreaux. The interesting thing, though, is, as you say, he, it feels like he has work to do with Boudreaux. Boudreaux's not the one who makes the cuts, though, ultimately, right? He makes the lineup decisions, but he doesn't make the roster decisions, right? And I, that is a fascinating dynamic as well for me because it could be a case where Patrick Alvin is looking at this and saying, look, Niels Hoaglander's going to be on your roster, and I would really prefer that you play him in these games, but maybe Boudreaux isn't as high as, on the, play, uh, as, high on the player, right? So I, I, that's part of the, the difficulty with me is I would just have such a hard time imagining them sending Hoaglander down based on how he's performed but as you said, if the coach doesn't trust him, if the coach doesn't want to play him, that puts that can put management in a, in a, t- a tough well, spot. Are you going to well. start him? Are you going to start him in the press box when he could be playing twenty minutes in Abbotsford? Like I don't know. That does that make sense? But is that's man- the but that's the decision you have is to make. Is management going to kind of capitulate in a sense, though? Right. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, if if there's this tension that we've imagined, then you know I think management's faced with two bad options. But 
ultimately one is worse, and that's this guy's not going to play. I think a lot of it's going to come down to Mikhaev's availability, right? If Mikhaev's in the lineup, then, you know, you're very clearly looking at a world where you go Garland with Miller and, and Pearson to start the season, right? Pedersen with Kuzmenko and, and Mikhaev, Bo Horvat with Pod Colson, and who's the other guy? Garland. It, or, sorry, no, no Garland, because Garland's moved up. Yeah, there's right? someone else, though. That bumps uh, Hoaglander out, or do we need both Besser if, and? I think we need Besser and Mikhaev to bump to really bump them out. Got it. Unless okay. you're playing Phil DiGiuseppe or Sheldon Drive yeah, or something which up I, there. I don't think I, you're I don't doing. think you're going that way. Either. So okay, so, so real realistically, so long as um, both guys are out, he's safe. In fact, until both guys return, he seemed to be safe in the top nine, surely. But we'll watch his minutes closely because when fully healthy. Right? Where does Hoaglander fit in? And and here's my view is that so long as he's playing in the NHL, he's gonna play well enough that he's going to force their hand. He's gonna force their hand and, and at some point probably earn more trust. But um I, I just saw last night as an indication that he still had work to do. Uh six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So the Canucks down to twenty nine players. Uh they've really reduced their group here. Two remaining preseason games of course tomorrow in Abbotsford against the Oilers and then they wrap up against the Arizona Coyotes on Friday but this is all before next week next Wednesday eight days from now uh, they open the regular season again on the road in Edmonton so this is you know and I, I, I I've seen a lot of reaction from Canucks fans kind of frustrated that they send an AHL lineup uh, to Edmonton last night, right? A, a desire to see what this team with all hands on deck, at least all healthy hands on deck can really look like. And we're going to get to see it, right? These are going to be those, you know, the classic cliche at the time is these are going to be dress rehearsal games where you've got something close uh, to your full lineup, certainly on the Friday one. We'll see. I would expect it in the uh, in the Wednesday one in Abbotsford as well. Y- you know, you laid out the case earlier in the show, Drancer, that the number one thing you're looking for is just stop, staunch the bleeding, right? <laughs> stop the bleeding in the defensive zone. Show that you can play with a little more organization and not be giving up these grade-A chances uh, consistently. And I was kind of writing it off last night because of the lineup, but as much as it is still just preseason and yada, yada, yada and all that, now that you get down to the wire and you are going to have something close to the full roster, the full lineup uh, going in these games... This is the part where I think it's it starts to become more valid if we see more of what we've seen already. Yeah, I mean, I think it's valid now. I think I'm legitimately worried about this team's defensive play. I wasn't well, I always have been, but I I mean I just I just worry that the defensive area of the game is where this team was most primed to regress anyway, right? Like the Canucks have been a porous defensive team for most of the last five years. And last season their goals against results, as the team is like to cite, right, became pretty good. Well, that fueled the 106, right? Like the 106-point pace under Boudreaux, yeah, the team started scoring. Like the biggest story, the biggest reason that the team got as hot as they did was that players like JT Miller thrived, right? Elias Pettersson started to score again. Brock Besser played far better, especially right away when when Boudreaux um, took over, right? That month of December was probably Besser's best of the season. So... You know, that was a main reason. But another reason was that the team sustained their defensive gains, right? Like they continued to play, um, you know, at a level where at least their goal prevention, whether or not their actual defensive form, which was only about average, uh, their, their defensive form held, but their goal prevention was still top 10. 
Well, you need to have all of those things going, right? You need the lethal power play. You need the scoring threat. And I believe that this team's going to score this year. Um, and you need to be preventing goals at that level if you're going to be that 106-point pace that this team was after after hiring Boudreaux. And, you know, a lot of that was Demko, right? Like, a big portion of that was the goaltending. This team had the number one five-on-five save percentage, and no team really sustains number one, right? You might stay above average, mm-hmm. especially when you employ a guy like Demko who looks great again this preseason and just is great, right? But, you know, you can have Luongo and Schneider. You're not number one right? Year over year. You can have Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask. You're not going to be number one year over year, right? Like, think about, you can have Henrik Lundqvist and Cam Talbot. You're not going to be number one year over year. Like, no one does it multiple years in a row. It's just not something that happens. Goaltending's too volatile. Um, Random distribution gets in the way of teams sustaining the number one five-on-five save percentage. And the Canucks weren't number one by a little bit. They were number one by, like, a fair bit. They were the only team north of 930 in the entire league five-on-five by five-on-five save percentage last season. And even if Demko is not the guy who regresses, you're probably not getting 950 out of your uh, third-string goaltender over six games. You're probably not getting 925. Like, for all Yaroslav Halak struggled, a lot of that was on the penalty kill, right? He was still 930 uh, five-on-five. So you're not likely to get that type of supporting goaltending, and that's part of the story too. This is where I'm worried that the Canucks could regress, particularly if their defensive form looks the way it did in the preseason. And it's not like this is new, right? Like this is consistent with what we've seen in the past where this team just gets shredded for quality opportunities time and time again. You know, it wasn't one game. It wasn't just how the Canucks AHLers played against the Oilers. It's how they've looked against an American League Seattle Kraken lineup or an American League Flames lineup. Like at some point, it becomes something that's bigger than, you know, who the Canucks are playing or who they're playing against. And that's what worries me is like, is this systemic? Is this systemic and was last season a mirage, right? What I, what I want the answer to is that, uh, what I want to see the answer be sort of no to is that question. Was last season a mirage in terms of goal prevention? And I've just seen enough in the preseason that I'm worried, you know, more than I was going into the preseason that in fact, that's how this might go. It, it just... It's not that I'm worried because of what I've seen in the preseason, but it's that what I've seen in the preseason has done nothing to convince me about what I already kind of thought, right? right. That the defense was going to be a problem. Yeah. That's the way I would it, put it's it. It's because it matches my priors yes. that I read into it. If it was, if I thought this team was going to be really strong defensively and then they turned in this performance, I'd probably be saying, coming on here and saying, preseason doesn't matter, oh, yeah. who cares? If this you was the I mean? 1995 New Jersey Devils, I'd be like, okay, it's just preseason. They're just coasting. They're getting into gear, right? They'll, they'll turn it on. We've talked about this. They haven't. They haven't earned that benefit of the doubt because we already thought this would be a, a problem, especially not in their own end of the rink. And the thing is, even if they turn into really impressive defensive performances in these final two games, it's going to be kind of a case of well, what can you really read into that, right? We're, we're not going to know until we actually see it week after week after week uh, in the regular season. That'll do it for us today. Again, first edition of the newly christened, renamed show. It is Canucks Talk now. Two hours. Every day, uh, we're, we're kind of bouncing around on the schedule for the rest of the week. But once we get going, we will primarily be in the 12 to 2 slot here on Sportsnet 650. Really excited about that. Thanks for all the positive feedback as well. The People's Show with Pick Nazar and Randy Janda. That's up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.